All right, you may be seated. You may be seated. Isn't that a good thing? It's nice to be able to sit down, huh? You've been sitting down. So, um, so last week, we uh, wrapped up a little bit of Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, a cha- chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 2, and today we're actually going to be going into chapter 4 of Ephesians. So maybe you're, you came prepared and you read a lot of Ephesians chapter 3. Appreciate that. Um, we're going to be talking about Ephesians chapter 4 today. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 as we get ready to, to learn from God's Word what He has for us today. Put my notes in my Bible in different places. You ever put stuff places and they don't belong there? And then you go back and you say, who moved it? And it was your fault. You ever done that? Last week we talked about reconciliation, and I don't want to pass this up because, oh, all too often, all too often we hear, but we don't do. Right? We don't want to be just hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. And I want to share with you just briefly a little experience that I had with reconciliation that I'm hoping that you likewise are either on your way to be doing or have already done this past week. So last week we talked about reconciliation. We talked about the importance of believers being reconciled together, having unity together, and the importance of what does it mean to actually have peace with one another. Does it mean that you're going to be going back to a relationship you once had. It just means that when you see the person, you're not, you know, freaking out. There's, you offer forgiveness. You have a level of reconciliation, a level of peace there. So after second service, I sat down over here, my new little bullpen area that I have here, <laughs> because we're all spread out. And then I sat down after second service, and I said, God, I'm talking about how we need to reach out to people and things that I said, God, who do you want me to reach out to, and how do you want me to handle this or handle that? And I was very specific with the Lord, and he, he was so intentional with me. I love it when the Lord is so intentional with me, and he just, as I was praying and my eyes were closed, this, this big, bolded word popped up in front of me, and it said, still, and it framed over to the word, be, still, and I was reminded of the verse and know that I am God, and really, I know that. But he wanted me to focus on just be still. And I said, well, how am I supposed to be still? He said, somebody will contact you. And I thought I would take a moment to educate my father in heaven and let him know that the only way that anybody would need to be able to do that is if they were in the room or if they were intentionally watching online. After that moment of ignorance on my part, um, then he said it again, be still, somebody will contact you. And so that was at the end of second service during the last song that we had. And I thought, well, I mean, let's see, right? How dare me? (laughs) How dare us do those things where we say things like, well, I guess I'll give you a shot, Lord. We give him all the praise and all the glory when things are going good, but when things are difficult, we try to educate God on how to handle it. The perfect judge needs our imperfect criticism. And so I say, okay, guys, so wait, okay. So at one o'clock, just after one o'clock, I got a text from somebody. And they said, thank you so much for the message. Thank you so much. There was so much good in there. Thank you for the way that you shared your heart. And because sometimes I can be kind of a slow learn, it wasn't until another hour or two later, I'm driving down the road 
And all of a sudden, I'm by myself, and I go, oh, oh my gosh. God connected the dots right there in the moment for me. And I went, you said it, and it happened. Oh my gosh, right? So it was that moment of praise. We're just excited about the fact that we had a moment, and God said, no, wait a second. Someone's going to contact you, and this person did. And there was a moment on Monday where I was able to have a phone call to kind of be that bridge, to kind of bridge the gap, and to have a moment of reconciliation. How about you? How about you, believer? What have you done this week to not just hear the word of the Lord, but to do it? Right? That's not a shaming thing. That's an accountability thing. And if you haven't done anything, you should have a little bit of a moment of, oh, because you need reconciliation in your life. You know it and I know it, but you didn't do anything for it. Or maybe you did, but the moment that you needed to start or that, the thing that you needed to actually step into was a sense of prayer. Maybe it was a sense of humility. Whatever God's working on you, I don't know. But the idea here today is to understand what it really means to walk as a believer. What does it really mean? Now listen. Today's message, we're going to be talking about the idea of being better together. We've heard this phrase many times. We're just, as believers in Christ, we're just better as we encourage each other, we stick together, because when you have real, authentic community life, not a church name, but a true life experience, when you have community life, we can actually stand stronger. We can stand Really, strong together. You're not even standing strong when you're by yourself, but you think you are. And so we're going to think through a little bit about what that, what that actually means. But I don't want to pass up the opportunity just to be accountable to you and for you to be accountable to me and to each other. What have you actually done to change your situation? Stop complaining about your situation if you're not doing anything about your situation. Step up. Make a change, make an adjustment, make it happen, get in there. And it's not that you do it. That's where we mess up. That's where we go wrong every time. I've got to make it. I'm a self-made man. The reality is, is that we need to follow in steps with the Spirit of God. Whatever the Spirit guides you to do, you go and do it. Don't try to come up with your own plan because every time you have, it's been messed up by you. And so we follow the Spirit of God, and God's Spirit says, hey, listen, I'm calling you into this new season of life. You probably would have never chosen. And so think through what that actually means as we're, as we're talking about the book of Ephesians today. Let's look at our outline for a moment. Ephesians, first three chapters, are talking about the wealth of the believer, learning how to grow as believers. What does it really mean to have wealth? Well, we have uh, wealth because of the Father in heaven. We have wealth because of forgiveness. And we have wealth because of our family. Now, the first three chapters, we, we really talk through it in chapters 1 and chapters 2. You read chapters three, chapter 3, and it's going to just reinforce what we learned. And so in, in, at the risk of being repetitive, we're going to go on to chapter 4 here, and we're going to be going into our outline on chapter 4, the walk of the believer. What does it actually mean to walk as a believer? And so we're going to learn through Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians, of course, as we know, was written by the Apostle Paul. Um, at least it was either written by him by hand or somebody was scribing it for him. Uh, this is a great, great... Um, 
letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, help us understand how God is building a new family, a new society, a new relationship, new standards based on truth that must be guarded. Truth that's not just truth for the sake of being true, but but for the fact that you need to follow it. And so in order to be able to understand and participate in these new things, we need to follow the truths. We need to understand the wealth of a believer. We need to understand who we are in Christ. And secondly, we need to walk, we need to understand the walk of a believer. Now, Ephesians is God's best uh, view, right? This is the view of God's best plan for redeeming his people. Uh, The view of being able to see how God is making things new. Ephesians is a very powerful book as you read through it. You can read through it a number of times. As we're going through it today, we're going to be going into chapter 4. Now, since we've learned for two weeks, and if you read chapter 3, right, you got that extra chapter in, then we're going to be talking about since you are wealthy as a believer, we are now going into chapter 4 where now Paul is laying out how we're supposed to now walk as believers. So as we go into verse 1, he says, therefore... So that's implying that, okay, so here is, here is the wealth of the believer. So now you understand your wealth. Now that you understand your inheritance. Now that you understand the significance of what it means to be a believer in Christ. Therefore, now this is how we walk it out. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Worthy of your calling as a believer. You are called into the family of God, so now live like it. Live as a believer. Live as one who has been redeemed and is being sanctified, being set apart. Live as someone who has legitimately been rescued from your own sin. Live like it. Live like somebody who is so unbelievably loved that they were willing to give up their only son in order that you might choose to follow and be a part of the family. Live like it. Live like it. I've said this before, and I, and I just think it's a great it kind, of, kind of an example, kind of a goofy thing. Um, I have an amazing cousin. His name's Brian. He and I used to hang out together all the time. And as he grew... He just never stopped growing. You know, you ever one of those family members that he's just, he's just, he's just solid and he's tall and um, he doesn't do a lot of talking, but God blessed me with the talking. And so I wasn't tall and solid. And so I got to hang out with him. And since I knew who I was with and everybody around me knew who I was with, uh, then I knew that I, I could feel a little bit more confident in the things that I said. Have you ever done that? Right? You've been in a situation where I'm not worried about you. I got him. That's what I tell people when I go places and I take one of my kids with me. I bought a little, like a little snowblower this year because I didn't want to use a shovel, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, and I got there and my Brooklyn was in the back seat and the lady goes, oh, you have a little passenger there. And I said, that's my muscle. <laughs> I bring my muscle because she takes down, she distracts people so I can get out. Anyway, so, so kind of like Brian was always that, always that guy that I just felt so confident around because I knew that he and I were on the same team. I know that he and I were good. I, I know who I am in this family relationship. And I think what we need to understand is, is that with, when you have a heavenly father who is limitless in resources and compassion, 
you live in a way that you receive that. Maybe you're not there yet, and that's a hard place to be because you're trying to do this whole Christian thing, and and you feel like I'm failing every single day. That's a lie. That's an absolute lie. I'm confident that you're not failing every single day and every moment of your life. It's just what the devil wants you to think so that you feel completely torn apart. You are a blessed child of God. Maybe I should have gone another week on this because we need to know the wealth of the believer. You are not homeless. You are not hopeless. You are not less than anyone. You are a child of the Most High God. You are in Christ, believer. You are, see- you are seated with Christ next to the Father. There is no greater place to be. So if that's where you are, if that's your stature, then act like it. Stop walking around like you have nothing. Stop acting, stop acting like this is all that there is. You understand that as terrible as this is right now, as awful as it is to go through this experience of COVID and all the other stuff that did not stop just because of COVID and all the stuff that did stop because of COVID, None of this compares to the glory that we will once inherit once we get to heaven. You need to keep in mind that, yes, this is hard right now. And the reality is, it's going to be hard because it's a sinful world and it's ran by the devil himself. He is the God of this world, God tells us. So, of course, there's going to be challenges. But guess what? As a church family, you get to get together spiritually, physically, relationally, and and just encourage people. There may be somebody watching or somebody listening to me right now that says, well, listen, I just don't have that family. Then that's part of the issue, that you don't have a family of believers that are surrounding you and encouraging you and loving you. I think it's time to go on to chapter four. Therefore, (laughs) therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, Paul's in jail again, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. What you know should impact how you grow. What you know should impact how you grow. Oh yeah, I know I'm a child of God. I know I'm loved completely, but I have such a fight with this and this and this and this and this. What you know should impact how you grow. So we're going to talk in, in, in verse chapter in verse uh, two of chapter four as we think about walking with believers. Then we're going to talk about walking amongst unbelievers. But right now we need to talk about walking with believers. So it's like walking alongside and doing life with people that are sitting right next to you. Are you following with me, believers? How do I live with this guy? How do I walk and do life and faith with these people? Well, Paul makes it very clear. Are you ready for this? Always be what? Mmm. Hmm. Mmm. I don't. You get this right all the time? I don't get this right all the time. I'd like to say I'd get it right most of the time, but I can't even say that I'd get it right most of the time, right? So that's that kind of mentality of, but you're a child of God, and so you need to work on getting this right, and you need to choose to get this right because our emotions can get away from us. So I want to I want us always be humble, always be humble. That's one of those words that mean always, right? That's the Greek for always, always. So you always want to be humble, which means if it's commanded, you can do it. 
It's a choice. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient. Be patient. It's a command, which means you can do it. Sometimes as I'm just walking into situations with my kids and I'm getting frustrated, you ever have that, parents, you ever have that fire that wells up inside of you that really makes you question your parenting, right? Those questions of, I'm not really sure what's about to happen, and so you really need to take that to the Lord, and you say, Father, give me patience, right? Because Shelly and I remind each other consistently that these are the training years. I want to train them up well now because, I, because at 18, at graduation, right, we're going to talk about launching, right? <laughs> For failure to launch at 40 years old will not happen at the Haybrook household. We'll figure out a way to launch you one way or another. But I want to train them up so that they can feel empowered to take on the world. They can feel empowered to go forward. So be patient with each other making allowances for each other's faults. You ever have somebody that just do, they do the same thing over and over again, just annoy you? They do, they do stuff all that, you do the same things over and over again. We're not talking about them, we're talking about you. Make every effort to keep yourselves united because you're supposed to make each other's uh, faults, uh, make allowances for each other's faults. Basically, you're choosing to give them the benefit of the doubt. You're choosing to give them the benefit of the doubt because of your love. Because of your love for them, because of your love for Christ, because of your love, you're choosing to give. There are people in your life that you have, you have not given the benefit of the doubt to for years because they hit that point. You have not reconciled. You have not forgiven. And they don't get any benefit of the doubt. If anything, and everything that they do gets piled onto the last thing that they did that frustrated you. And so as believers, we're actually supposed to make allowances for others. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit. You may not be physically close, but in spirit, you want to remain united, which means that this idea of peace, this idea of I don't agree with you, but I love you, and we can mutually uh, be beneficial in our lives to each other, right? Because as brothers and sisters in Christ, I have a dear pastor friend of mine that he and I are, aren't totally different in our theological stances, but we are different enough. We are different enough, but guess what? We're still having lunch together. We're still encouraging each other. We're still praying for each other. We even tease each other over different elements just because it's funny, because we get each other. We even kind of joke a little bit about certain things. And so, but we are united in spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. So I'm, we're united uh, in spirit, and we're actually bound together. We're stuck together. We're not able to be broken apart through the bonds of peace. How do you have peace if you don't have reconciliation? You got to have peace. You got to have peace. That's what binds us together. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is but one, and we all go through that same focus. We all go, you don't have your, right, we, we, we miss the understanding that we have a, that personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah, yeah, you need to have a relationship with Jesus that is not tacked on to somebody else's as if to say that, well, I'm going to heaven because they are. But the idea is that you're supposed to share your faith with people, share your community life with people. That's the idea of being able to work together through the one spirit, the one body, which Christ is the head of. It's all the same. 
you can't relationally distance yourself too well when you're part of the same body. Imagine a silly example, right? Silly example. So kids, imagine you put your hands together. You do that with me. Where's my kiddos up there in the balcony? Put your hands together. Adults, you can do this too. It's cool. It's all right. They're like, well, can I do it? Put your hands together. We are bound together by peace and by unity, but then there's a fight, right? How in the world am I supposed to clap if my hands are at odds? We're part of the same body, yet we don't get along. Well, I'll just stay on my side of the body. You stay on your side of the body. And you know what? We don't ever have to talk again. We don't have to get along. We don't have to have peace. Actually, you kind of do. Actually, you kind of do. You got to get to a place where you can have that level of peace. And who knows? Maybe Jesus will do a work in both of your hearts. I often will pray, change me or change them. Because if you don't, someone's going to die, right? It's like that moment changed me. And it's often within the confines of marriage where we say, God, change me or change Shelly. But one of us isn't getting it. And so one of us needs to, like, get it. And sometimes it's just, a, you know, we agree to disagree. Rarely is that the case. But it is the case at times. But, uh, you know, there's also those times where we just need to come together and support the other. But, hey, change me or change them. But I'm, being, I'm open to being changed because I know I'm not always right. You may need to hear that today. Maybe the one thing that you needed to hear today was that you're not always right. You're not always right. And so you need to be humble and gentle, be patient with one another, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Because we are part of the same body and you play a specific role. So you need to work with that other hand in order to be able to come together to be able to create something of praise. Verse 5 there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. There's not multiples. There is but one way through the one God, the one Father, the one faith, the one baptism, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Man, I got to get along with people? It may be hard for you to do. It may be the hardest thing that you do in your life is just working to get along with people then guess what, believer? This is your time to do it. And there's a variety of ways to do it. You don't actually, you don't always have to jump right into the conversation. In fact, in some situations, you almost need to grease the wheel before you turn it, right? You need to send a quick little note, maybe handwritten, maybe a little text to somebody, maybe an email. I don't know your, your context, so these are all different ideas. Maybe you're not going to email your four-year-old, but I'm just saying like there's different ways that you can connect and you can start greasing that wheel before you actually start turning it to see what happens. Just give it a little bit of a plug, but maybe you are further along than what you think. So then in verses um, 7 through 11, Paul talks about the gifts uh, that are given to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, and so he sits here and he talks about how we're supposed to get along within this one body. And then he says, now listen, there's gifts that God has given you and they are known as the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility in verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people. Now this is for you to understand even my role a little bit differently. Their, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do 
his work, not the pastor's work, but his work, and to build up the church, which is the body of Christ. Not the local establishment for the sake of the local establishment, but to build up the body, the body of believers. So, my job is to empower and resource you to do the work of God. My job is to train and empower and disciple you. So when you come to me, and I'm learning this because God's kind of shifting me. When you come to me and say, hey, will you, will you go visit this person? I'm most likely going to start with, hey, have you visited them first? Have you visited? Have you tried to connect with them? Why is that important? Because you need to know that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in both of us. I understand that pastors for years have taken on the weight of the world and time and time and time again, pastors have been, have been beat down by the weight of it. They have, they have gotten burnout. out. I, I've gotten articles left and right. People say, listen, read this, check this out. You want to avoid burnout because being a pastor is the most difficult, most challenging, most, most interesting thing you will ever experience in your life. I've had people come to me that talk about how they're losing sleep over what's going on in maybe my life or surrounding me. And I start questioning myself. Do I care enough? Do I have enough compassion? Because when this dude goes down to lay down to go to sleep, I go to sleep. God has given me such a level of peace and security in him that I truly don't bear the weight of everything that is supposed to be on me. I thought for years I was doing this pastor thing wrong. Wait a second, I, am I about due for a breakdown? I don't know, am I wrong? I go on vacation, I need to go vacation, I take a day, I need to take a day. And I try to get a hold of people, I try to do the best I can, but I, I mean, unless it's an emergency, my family dining room table is sacred. And so when my phone rings, it's over in the house somewhere. The kids are like, should I go get it? No. I'll check it in a minute. I'll check to see, is it an emergency, something like that. Okay, it's not an emergency. Okay, then I will get back when I can. The weight of the world is never meant to be on the shoulders of the pastor or the evangelist or the apostles or the teachers. It was the, the goal was to train and equip the church, not to entertain the church. And so that's our goal, even through this series and every series to come, is this idea of training and discipling, which I'll talk a little bit more about this as we get to the end here. So their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, which is the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So until we make heaven, we're supposed to keep doing what we're doing. What about, what about COVID? Okay, keep doing 
what you've always done. Love people, take care of people, do, the, do his work. What about if we get shut down again? Okay, great, gotcha. Okay, you're going to do the will of the Lord. You're going to love people. You're going to care for people. But what if we don't go back to school for five years? I totally get it. Let me pray over all those parents that have little kids at home right now, and then you're going to keep loving people, do the work of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And so the idea here is that you immerse yourself in the focus on Jesus. That even though it's crazy, Peter got, dude got to walk on water. He, he was on the water. He was looking at Jesus. But the waves and the wind and the rain were so attractive to look at because Jesus may have been just standing there. Because he's as good, cool as a cucumber. And then he starts looking at the waves. Peter starts to sink. And Jesus says, oh my. Even after he just walked on water. Ye, ye, this is King James, right? This is how I memorized it. Ye of little faith. You of little faith. And he grabs them and he rescues them. Even in the midst of all that, you can fix your eyes on Jesus. I know it's hard. I'm not minimizing the challenge, I'm emphasizing his glory. There's a difference. The challenge will get higher and stronger. That's why you need to focus on his glory more and more and more so you can sustain and you can even grow through the challenges and the chaos because it is what it is. So let's make it great for ourselves and people that are around us. So then he says... Um, so then we talk about how we're supposed to walk amongst believers. You see all that? We're supposed to love each other. Make allowances for each other. You know, if somebody tries to call me and can't get a hold of me, I'm expecting that you're going to say, well, he might be helping somebody else, or he might be with his family, or he might be doing this, or he might be doing that. Give me an allowance because when I return the call and I leave a message for you because you didn't answer waiting on your phone for me to call, I say, you know what? I bet you they just had something else they had to do. And I let it be what it's going to be. I've been in phone tag with a sweet lady for the past two weeks. I have no ill feelings towards this person. And likewise, I hope the same. But I'm trying to connect. We're trying to connect and give lots of allowances. So that's between believers. Walk before unbelievers is the next section here in verse 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, which was not living like Jesus, for they are hopelessly confused. If you're a believer, you are not supposed to live your life in such a level of hopeless confusion that you're just walking, wandering around. Where do I go? What do I do? I love Jesus, but I'm clueless. You may love Jesus in words, but you do not love Jesus in life. And so the idea is that you connect with him in such a way that you live not like the Gentiles do, and hopeless and confused. You're supposed to throw off, verse 22, throw off your sinful nature and your former way of life. Going back to school is an interesting thing because I don't know that it's going to happen a lot now, but it may. When you go back to school, go to college, and we typically get ready by going shopping, right? You get your outfit. How many people had brand new outfits when they went to school? New to you outfits, right? Okay, so you got some new clothes there, and you'd walk in, and you just kind of like had a little strut, right? Don't touch my shoes because they're white, and, my, and the scuff. You know, I used to sit down with a toothbrush and brush my shoes, and they'd come out white, and then I'd put them on, and I would 
almost immediately bump into something. It's like it couldn't stand to be scuff-free. And so you have these outfits and you, because what you did was you took off those old clothes that you had and you wanted to put on something new. And, and typically people are like, man, that's nice. Where did you get that? The idea here when we're supposed to throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life is that you remove and take off those old habits and those old clothes and you put on the new. And when people say, huh, what happened to you? What, what is new with you? You get to point them to the designer or you get to point them to the store or you get to point them to the one that made it possible. That's the whole concept here is throw off your old sinful nature, which means, ready? If it's commanded, it's doable. Throw it off. Get rid of it. Don't have it anymore, which is corrupt. Your sinful nature is corrupt by lust and deception. There's really no room for gray area there, right? Your old self is, is corrupted by lust and deception, you don't come in from working outside or from work, and especially not in this day and age, if you're a healthcare worker, typically, you don't come home and put on new clothes over your old clothes. People are stripping down in garages, man, and they're going right to the shower and they're washing themselves up and putting on everything that's brand new because they don't want to corrupt anyone else that is in the house. Likewise, amongst unbelievers... We don't want to add to what's already confusing. We want to take off our sinful nature and we want to put on this new thing. Wow, that's a great picture, isn't it? Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You were dead and now you're alive. That's the difference. That's the way it should be. The difference between dark and light. You were dead and now you're alive. It's one thing to take the believer out of the world, which is salvation. It's another thing and a process to take the world out of the believer, which is actually sanctification. This process of being set apart for the work of the Lord. And it's not an overnight process. It's an ongoing process of flexing your faith muscle where you learn and you grow and you become discipled. So, stop telling lies. Tell us, uh, tell, uh, let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body and don't sin by letting anger control you. Which means if it's, con if it's commanded, it's doable. Don't let sin uh, control you. Don't let... Uh, your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down on your while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. When you're angry, you think of things that you would never do. If I just had a bat right now. Right? Think about this. Let's get real. You don't have to say it because it would be just it would be humiliating to share it out loud. But when you get mad, you have thoughts you would never do. Am I right? And so the idea here is, is that that actually is going to, that you're giving, if you don't handle it right away, you're giving the devil a foothold in your, in, your, in your heart, which means the door cracked open by anger, and he put his foot in the door. And if you don't deal with it and move his foot and close that door, he's going to get in there and wreak havoc in your life. And you get to control it in Christ. 
If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be encouragement to those who hear them, whether it's a direct conversation or it's the people that overhear our conversation. We want to use words. So even if you have, and I'm a work in progress, I'm I'm working really hard to make sure I don't entertain these things. I don't tell these things, but I typically hear it and just kind of laugh it off and walk away. But the idea that between two believers, there would be a crude or inappropriate joke that we would share, and then somebody could overhear that. That causes more hopeless confusion. So it's, well, can I have any fun? Man, you can have so much enjoyment, so much fun, but as a believer in Christ, we have a responsibility to, to draw other people to Christ. And so there's certain things that we need to shed off to get out of our lives because it's actually not helpful Verse 30, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Listen to this. This is so significant, and you know who you are that needs to hear this. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Oh, God understands. We're we're tight. Oh, he understands this. He understands that. Listen, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Well, it's not that big of a deal if I act a little bit different. Let me ask you a question, parents. Is it a big deal when your kid's that crazy? In public? Kind of embarrassing? Humiliating? Early on, um, I had to correct myself a lot when we brought Brooklyn into our home and she started moving. <laughs> um, we were at school, and we were at Chapel Hill. Brooklyn's first year last year was the beginning of the year. And, you know, something unique happens with trauma brain. Some people understand that, some people don't. I don't have time to go into it today. Girl had gone ballistic. And everybody watching would have assumed temper tantrum, bad parent, right? I knew the truth that she was just so overstimulated, I had to give her time to calm down. So I had to educate people in my life, not excuse her behavior or try to make myself look better. So I sat in a conference room for about an hour and a half while she was screaming. And I just sat there with her until she calmed down. And then eventually, I was able to walk her into her, uh, one of the teachers was able to get her and, and walk her into her classroom. The point is, is that she may not be, she's learning, she's training, so she's learning how to, cha- to, to adjust her behavior a bit. But we as believers, especially as an adult believer, you need to understand that there's ways that you can train how you behave. And it's not a behavioral modification, it's a life transformation. So Brooklyn's being transformed from the inside out through the way that we encourage her and bless her, and she's only seven, right? And so my point in telling you that is, you don't, don't be ashamed of where you are. Just don't be content with it. Don't be ashamed. Do something to make your situation better. I want to share something with you. That, uh, that I call the, the path of, dis- of the disciple. And the path of the disciple is 
this concept of, okay, so walking as a believer, what does this actually look like? You need to know where you are so you know where you need to go and where you need to grow. And so this path of the disciple is a continual thing as we love and as we learn and as we lead. It's constantly going. It's not cyclical in nature where it goes from this to this to this to this and then back to this to this. It doesn't move. It's all the same at the same time. We're always loving while we're learning, while we're leading in our lives. It's just a continual situation. But I want to share with you something that a friend of mine from, uh, from Canton, Michigan, at a life church up there that has actually worked on this for over a decade, just introduced it to me, and I've been kind of modifying it um, for how I want to teach it, and he gave me all the information and all the permission to be able to do this. A gentleman I met years ago at a church down in uh, Canton, Ohio, interesting enough, or Maslin, Ohio. And so here's what I want to share with you. Uh, Can we put up the slide here? Okay, this is a super cool thing that kind of helps us understand. You may not be able to see this. I'm not passing this out because this is a relationship between two people, a disciple, uh, a, a discipler and a disciplee, right, <laughs> or something like that. Uh, basically, you have someone that would be more in the parent role and somebody that would be in the infant role to understand where they are. But for today, I just want you to understand the process in which we should be heading as believers. If you are a follower of Christ, this is kind of like an understanding on, on where you are, where you were, and where you're going. So first of all, we look at over here at the slice of pie right here that says dead. These are the individuals that are legitimately, and this is all a faith journey, a life journey. So the reason why the portion of dead is there, because that's part of your journey. You were dead in Christ. You were without. So as a believer, if you are ready to disciple somebody and you're going to do that, then you want to share your story and share God's story with this individual and just pray for them. Do not hit them with the Bible that has never worked and will never work. And so you want to encourage that individual because you were once dead. Um, When an individual receives Jesus, they go into an infant stage. You're going to recognize this from raising kids, I bet. Okay, so then you go into an infant stage. And that's where you share your life and share truth and habits. That's where you invite them even more so into your life. And you're doing life with them more and more. And you begin to teach truths. You begin to teach habits on how to live because again when the when the child's little you're really you're really saying listen just watch me and do as I do for a little while until you're ready to then start doing and making your own decision which could go into being as a child the next stage would be children right so be as a child in Christ you're going to connect to God now connect to God's family and connect to God's purpose so that child is now learning to make decisions on their own with regards to their faith and this individual that's discipling them is helping them with that i know this is a lot but this is going to be so encouraging and helpful for us to know where we are so we're sharing our lives in an infant child and then going into a young adult we should be looking to become confident in our faith become the mission and become whole as as a young adult Now, I don't know where you are on this wheel, but you're somewhere. As a young adult, then as a parent, if you, now just because you've been been going to church for 45 years doesn't make you a parent in the faith. The unfortunate tragedy is that many people that have been going to church their whole lives are still infants. That's the problem. They want to be entertained. They want to be played with. They want to be given toys. They want to have all the fun, but they don't want to do any of the work. 
And so we go into the parent stage where you're actually influencing now one person. You're discipling somebody as a parent, and you're also influencing culture, and you're doing it together. I don't know where you are on this wheel, but I believe you're somewhere. And I want you to think about where you probably are. Don't say, oh, I go to church. I give money. Well, I do this, or I kind of do that. There's a whole different aspect to understanding your faith than just doing. It's being. And so as a parent, you're actually helping to disciple somebody. If you do not have anybody in your life that you are intentionally trying to reach or connect with based on this wheel, please don't be offended. You're probably more of like a young adult because of the fact that you are becoming more confident, perhaps, becoming the mission and becoming whole. There's also a possibility you may still be a child. You're trying to connect with God. You're trying to connect with God's family. You're trying to uh, connect to God's purpose. This is not a shaming tool. This is an accountability revealing tool. So where are you? See, the big idea for today is that we can grow together. Don't be ashamed if you're still an infant. Just don't be content with it. We can grow together in marvelous ways. In our life groups, as we go into the fall, we're trying to figure out what that looks like. Trying to figure out what life groups look like with our small groups to get together and just kind of talk and and enjoy one another and be a, a mutual accountability to one another. Not sure what that looks like, but we're working on it. Here's our next steps. Here's what I want you to do going out here uh, thinking about. Where do you need to grow in your life? Well, if you're an infant, you probably need to go to a child. If you're a child, you probably need to go to a young adult. If you're a young adult, you probably need to go to a parent. And if you're a parent, you should be discipling someone because that wheel is cyclical, but it's surrounded by a continuum of loving and learning and leading. And we can help you with that. So where do you need to grow in your life? Figure it out. Jesus will tell you. You don't need me to tell you. The Spirit will tell you. Bring one or two people into that area of your faith journey. Hey, I got a problem here. Um, I want to read my Bible and I want to learn more about God, but I struggle with this consistent, I struggle with these things. Would you read with me? Hey, I struggle with giving. I wonder if you could walk me through a budget so I can sit down and I can actually be obedient in my giving. Bring somebody into that area of your faith journey. So that's what chapter 4 is all about right there. We're going to continue learning about what does it mean to actually walk as a believer as next week we go into Ephesians chapter Five. So make sure I almost did this, and that'd be ten. That'd be ten. There's no ten. So Ephesians chapter five. Make sure you read that for next week. Reread chapter four as we learn and we grow together. Let me pray for you, Heavenly Father. I come to you now in the name of Jesus, and I ask you for a unique, special anointing over the people that are hearing these words right now. I pray that they will feel empowered, not entertained. That they will feel strength and not weakness. I pray that they will truly be empowered to go and grow in your name. We're trusting you for a true revival in the hearts of people as we continue to move forward in the name of Jesus. All God's people say, amen. All right, thank you for being here today. Hey, I want to share with you one thing that Community Life is doing as you guys are kind of like getting your stuff together and you're getting ready to head out here. Um, Many of you know Pastor Brenda Young, Senior Pastor of Cornerstone Church. Uh, Many of us have been mentored by her and been blessed by her for many, many years. Next Sunday, August 23rd, is her last Sunday as senior pastor of Cornerstone Church. And and, and Pastor Jacob will be installed as pastor the following week. But we want to really bless 
Pastor Brenda, as she is now exiting this season and this chapter of her life and going into a new chapter of her life. And so for this week, here's what I want you to do. If you're in-house, you can grab them here. If you're online, I want you to grab one or just stop by the office when, when we're here and we'll give you one. There are cards on the other side of this divider here, little cards that were, that were made for Pastor Brenda in order for you to fill out. Now, here's what we're going to do. Take it, fill it out, and then give it back to us. And we're going to mail it to her. And we're going to give it to her. And the goal here is that you give them back to us so we can trickle them into her. Little by little by little. So it's not just a flood and then it's done, but rather we give little by little by little. We really want to bless Pastor Brenda through these cards. Not only that, but her heart is for people uh, to have clean water. We know it as Clear Blue Water Project. And Clear Blue is an opportunity to be able to give life-giving water to people who have no access to it. So together as Community Life Church, I'm inviting you to join me and the board and our staff to be able to uh, raise $1,500 in order to be able to provide one well in India. We want to do that in her name and honor her as she goes forward with that. This well will provide life-giving water for years to come, and it will be in honor of her heart of clear blue that was started all the way back in 2007. All this information is on our website, so be on the lookout for it, and there's going to be a social media post that's going to be going out as well to help us stay on track with this. So for Pastor Brenda, we're going to use this week to raise $1,500 for a well. You can go online and give there. You can click the clear blue area, and we're going to fill out cards, and we're going to send them to her. We are going to be a blessing in every way that we can. Can you do this with me? All right. Now, will you please stand now and receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now go and be the church.